Good morning, church. We've got a, a wet day full of moisture to gather here today, and that's a, that's a good thing. My name is Carson Reed. I come from Abilene Christian University. I serve as a professor there in the Bible department, and I also direct an institute called the Cyber Institute for Church Ministry. Uh, I was here about 15 minutes ago. We went through a survey, a congregational survey together, and with uh, Jimmy's uh, retirement and transition, uh, your elders have asked me and uh, the Institute to walk with you through the spring as we move through a time of transition. So I'm delighted to be with you here today, and I'll be preaching for the next couple of weeks. I've got some of my other colleagues that will be coming in the coming months to preach uh, and be with you. I'll be working with your elders through a number of exercises, and we'll be developing a search committee and all the kind of work that goes on to uh, prepare for the next chapter in Kerrville's life. So I'm delighted to be with you here today and uh, open up some material from the book of Acts. It strikes me whenever I find a text in Scripture that has a question. Questions in the Bible are really, really invigorating to me. From Genesis, when God asks the question of Adam and Eve, where are you, all the way to Revelation, near the end of the book of Revelation, there's a, a rhetorical question of Babylon. Where is there a greater city than this, which is just simply setting up the, the word about the greatest city of all, the, the new Jerusalem that would come from heaven? Uh, questions in the Bible open up possibilities for us to think and to reflect. And I think the question in this text that we heard just moments ago being read is an incredibly important question for us today. Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You remember the setting of this, right? Jesus has been resurrected, and uh, he's with his uh, disciples. They're out on the Mount of Olives, and their questions are being asked about what's next. And uh, they're looking down from the Mount of Olives down to, the, to Jerusalem, the city, just maybe not even a mile to the, to the temple, and the glorious city of Jerusalem. And there they can see by the temple a large fortress, the Antonio Fortress, where Roman soldiers uh, paroled and uh, watched over the city of Jerusalem. And they're asking, Jesus, is this the time when you're going to act and bring and put all things to right again. It's a poignant moment for them. And the way in which Jesus responds to them may be helpful to us. Because I think we're asking those kinds of questions too, aren't we? We're now in what, month 10 of a pandemic? A once in a hundred year kind of an event uh, for us in America? And as our prayer leader reflected and lifted up to God, we're at an unprecedented time in national politics and political life and social life in our country today. And for those of us who look at churches, we're actually in a once in a 500 year kind of transition of upheaval and renewal in churches in, Western, in the Western world. There is at every turn in our life a sense of uncertainty and anxiety. And we want to cry out with these disciples as they did on that day, Lord, is this the time? Are you about to act? Will you do something to right the wrong and the upset and the 
disheaval and disruption that we're experiencing in our life. Is this the moment? And you know what Jesus does? He up and disappears. He up and disappears. Now, we didn't hear all of this text, but just after he says a few things to him, he just goes up into heaven. And we're left with going, what's going on here? Isn't this the time of all times for Jesus to act boldly and definitively and bring all things to right? No, he disappears. What's going on with that? And it's in that set of questions that I think we might find some provocative answers indeed. You know, this we call this the ascension, is the big $64 word for this. Ascension. You, you, you've got a nice theological word now today that you can take home with you. Uh, ascension. His ascension into heaven. What's that all about? We don't talk much about it, really. We talk about the incarnation of Jesus, right? That God becomes human and dwells among us, John chapter 1, right? We talk about the cross of Jesus, where we see the demonstration of God's love and faithfulness in spite of all of the human frailty and sin in the world, dies on our behalf. It's a marvelous thing, the cross. So we've got incarnation, we've got the cross, we've got the resurrection, right? We see the demonstration of God's power to overcome all enemies, even death itself. Pretty big stuff. But then we skip the ascension. And in so doing, church, we miss the very thing that we need so much in our time and place today. You see, the ascension is the completion of what God set out to do with the incarnation. In the incarnation, God becomes human in order that, as one dead church father would say, in order that humans might become gods. Uh, Athanasius, the guy that said that, was not trying to spout off some sense of heresy that we would all become gods with a capital G, he was saying that because of the incarnation and the ascension that we human beings have the capacity to live in forever relationship with God Almighty. Without the ascension, the circle has not been made complete. It's in the ascension of Jesus rising to set at the right hand of the throne of God and unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit upon all people, which we'll see in the second chapter of Acts, and we'll take a look at that in a week or two. We'll just spend a couple, three weeks in Acts while I'm with you. It's in that, uh, that return to heaven as the God-man, Jesus, that everything comes to right. You see, sometimes as church folk, we get the notion that, uh, that what God wants to do is put us in his hospital, Sometimes we talk about the church as being a hospital where we know that God loves us and cares for us and all that sort of thing. And that's certainly true. But the ascension, with Jesus' return to heaven, he's putting into motion something to not keep us just as we are, broken sinners. What he's doing in that moment is unleashing the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit to transform us. So that the church is not a hospital, It is actually a rehab center. It's a place where we are being restored and renewed to be the new persons and the new communities that God wants from his people. That is what's being unleashed in this moment where Jesus just sort of disappears. Now, 
One of the ways that this was brought home to me some years ago was that when I see that language, which we uh, didn't fully, uh, let me read just a little more of our text here uh, this morning, uh, where we hear uh, these disciples are watching Jesus ascend up in heaven, he's being lifted up, and there are two angel figures that show up in verse 11 of chapter 1. And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking toward heaven? This Jesus whom has been taken up from you into heaven will return the same way that he came. I always read that as being taken away, that he disappears. But reading this in church history, most of the church for 2,000 years has understood this as being literally promoted. It's, It's an exaltation. It's a promotion. It's not that he's disappearing. He's being placed in the place where he started in the very beginning. Now, not just as God, but as God-man. Jesus is fully God and fully human. That human part of Jesus did not go away when he ascended. He is still this incarnate being. And because of that, we can... Uh, know with a surety that he knows what it's fully like to be human. And in that moment, and in that return, sets up the, res- the, the next steps of this whole story of God unleashing his power and his wonder upon humankind. And that's what we need, church. We need it desperately. We need for God to unleash his power to renew and restore us. We need it in our lives. We need it in this city. Uh, I got in last night before all this started happening, and I, uh, I went to Mama Cedis. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but that's where I was told to go by somebody. Was that a good thing? Yeah. Well, I, I, and I went early so I could kind of find a quiet place to get in the restaurant. And, uh, and I had quiet for about three minutes, and then they set two couples right up next to me. And here I am all by myself. I hate going out alone, don't you? But here I am. I'm reading the newspaper on my phone. But I could not help but overhear the conversations by two, let's call them middle-aged couples, on either side of me. And I heard the gamut of human experience, worrying about aging parents, trouble with the loss of a job, children in trouble, mom wants to go to church, but we're not sure she should go to church. And then this was really heartbreaking to me where this woman said it would be nice if she could go to church because she thinks that she can find some community there, but I quit going to church a long time ago because I just don't find anything meaningful at church anymore. And on and on it went. And I sat there and I began to pray (laughs) in the middle of my beef burritos, uh, or enchiladas. Lord, this this city needs the witness of Christian people who speak the truth about what God is unleashing by the power of the Holy Spirit to renew and restore. This city needs that. And I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, right? And I could tell you stories not just about Kerrville, but about Abilene where I live, or Dallas, or San Antonio, or New York City, or places like Washington, D.C. And on and on it goes, right? We need We long, we desire for God to unleash and restore and renew. And you know what? It is not fully true that Jesus just disappears in this story, as I said. 
Really, he's being promoted or exalted. And in that exaltation, he says a couple of words to these disciples that I want to leave you with today. He tells them, first of all, to wait. Just hold up. Don't go rushing every which way, trying to restore and renew all on your own. Wait. Hold up. Because I'm going to give you power. It's not monetary power. It's not political power. It's not social power. It's not personal power. It's Holy Spirit power when the Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my, what, church? Witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You know what a witness is? A witness is somebody who has seen the truth and is willing to speak about it. And what we, we need, we need people who are willing to speak the truth about Jesus, about the transforming power of God and what, he, what God can do in our lives and in our communities. This is what he's inviting them to do, to, to wait until God acts powerfully. Now, some of us have had this, I expect most of us have had the experience about waiting. Waiting is a hard thing to do. If the pandemic has taught me anything, it's, it's taught me to be more patient. Has it you? I have to wait. And I got to wait on a test. And I got to wait on a car. I got to wait on this. Got to wait on that. But you know, something happens if we think about waiting not as a passive thing, but as a time of preparation. What might need to happen in your life, your life, my life, in this time of waiting? We're waiting. We don't know who the next minister is. We don't know what what will unfold over the next few months for this church. Well, let's use this time in a biblical sense of waiting, waiting upon the Lord to do his work, right? Rather than just rushing out and thinking we can figure it all out and put it together and away we go. No, waiting reminds us that what needs to happen in my life and in your life, in this church's life and in this country's life, is something much bigger than anything you or I could do. Are you with me on this? Because if it were the case that I could do that by myself, it would have already happened. And it's not. And it ain't. So we wait. Waiting is a time of repentance. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of reordering our priorities. It's a time of prayer. It's a time of prayer. And in fact, that's what these early disciples do, right? If you moosey on down in that text in Acts chapter 1 to verse 14, you'll see it. They all gather up in an upper room, and there they pray. The disciples, they're named, all the gathering of folks, perhaps 120 of them, they gather to pray. <laughs> My dad was a preacher, and he always liked to quote the old uh, King James Version. They all gathered in a little Honda in one accord, right? And here they are, they're praying. What are they doing? They're waiting. But their waiting is not just twiddling their thumbs. They're asking for God to renew, to restore, and to prepare them for what lies ahead. So what lies ahead for us? Will the Kerrville Church be a place where we choose to wait with expectation of what good things God can do for us and through us for the sake of the city of Kerrville? Is this a time... Is this not a time for us to engage in reflection of repentance, of reordering, of renewal? 
and preparing for what God may want to do with us in the months and years ahead. And so I'm inviting you today to be people of prayer, to invite God into your life anew and afresh. Uh, and, And I'm asking for you to ask that for yourself. I'm not asking for you to ask, Lord, would you bless and reform and renew George or Sally or Sam? There is a tendency to want us to, you know, there are some folks who need some renewing, and I'm, I'm asking. I want you to start with yourself. What is it that needs to happen in your life to be ready for the next thing that God wants to do in your personal life and in the community life of this church? Will we be praying with a sense of renewal and expectation for your staff and for your elders as we move into this stage of reflection and preparation for the new chapter that lies ahead? Will you be praying right now, not worrying so much about who that preacher will be, but will you be praying for that minister, right? As they uh, will learn about Kerrville and what lies ahead. This is a time of preparation of renewal, of prayer. Will we participate and engage in that with a sense of expectation and hope? Well, I said something about my dad a moment ago. He told a story that I has been on my mind all week this week, so I've just got to tell it to you uh, myself. It's a story about a little duck church, a town where all the residents were ducks, And every Sunday, the ducks would waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street and waddle into their church. And they waddled into the sanctuary and sat in their proper pews. And then the duck praise team choir waddled up and took its place. And then the duck minister came forward and opens the duck Bible and began to preach. Ducks, he cries out, God has given you wings. Ducks, with wings you can fly. With wings you can soar and mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences will hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings. And you can fly like birds. And all the ducks quacked, Amen! Amen! And then they all waddled home. My question this morning is simple. Are you going to waddle? Are you going to fly? Are you going to keep waddling in worry and in anxiety and wringing our hands and wondering, what is it that I, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? What am I going to do? Or are we going to fly with faith? Are we going to mount up on wings like eagles by the power of prayer and trust that the Lord has got this? And that what we need to be doing and preparing is being ready to do whatever it becomes clear to us that we need to do in response to the work of God, to the response of the ascended Lord Jesus as he directs and shapes and fashions our future. Church, will you waddle or will you fly? Ray, where are you? Let's stand and sing a song. Good morning, church family. We're here today to share a common meal around the Lord's table. Please take out the bread. What do you think about when we break the bread? For years, I thought about 
Jesus on the cross and his suffering and not much else. Then Greg Cummings, uh, many years ago, preached a sermon. And he talked about worship and that just as prayer and singing have a vertical and a horizontal component, that there is a horizontal component to the breaking of bread, that we are a family and that this unites us. The spiritual body of Jesus is the church. And so in thinking of the church, that can be generic. So my practice since that Sunday has been to pick out one of my brothers and sisters in the audience. And as I focused on Jesus' suffering, I focused on the fact that that makes us a family. Father, as we break the bread, we remember your sacrifice of your son, and we also remember that his spiritual body, the church, is made one and whole. Amen. Let's break the bread together as a family.